Hello, hello. It is Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com. And it has been far too long since I have recorded last. I was just let know by somebody the other day that it was been a few months. So I went on and I realized that uh, I keep saying this, you know, I think every time that, okay, I'm finally set up and this and that. <laughs> and life just kind of takes over. Uh, unfortunately, it is just kind of a busy time of life. I'm uh, more active in speaking at church, etc. And so it does take some time away from from doing podcasting, etc. And there's also my children and taking care of the, the twins. So always makes it more challenging. But uh, I thought I would just give you an update of basically some of the things that I've been looking at, some of the things I've been working with. And uh, I'll speak just briefly about some some interesting developments that may interest you, uh, some things that have happened in the last several months that have a potential of being extremely important. And I don't think I've ever done an episode directed towards this, but I think it would be a good time to just speak about it a little bit, and that is the real Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is one of those... Um, interesting uh, locations obviously that there's been a lot of fanfare a lot of there's a lot of debate in the scholarly world even in the archaeological world a tremendous amount of debate there's a historical site there's tons of candidates and nobody seems to be able to agree on the actual location and this is something that's been a mystery you know for well for thousands of years i guess since the time of jesus obviously in their day they knew where the mountain was, but since then, it seemingly has been lost, at least to us as Westerners. And it it basically has become a big controversial hodgepodge in which nobody really wants to get too close to. Now, uh, last month, there was a film launched called, called The Moses Conspiracy. It's the second installment of the Exodus, uh, or the Patterns of Evidence, sorry. It originally was going to be called Exodus Conspiracy, but... Patterns of Evidence by Tim Mahoney. And Tim did an excellent job uh, on his first film. The second film, I actually didn't have a chance to see it in the theater, so I'm waiting for the release of the DVD, and I'm going to buy that and watch it. But I do know the subject material because I'm familiar with what Tim is doing. I'm also familiar with some connections he has, so I know a little bit of backstory about what is all taking place there. Tim's ultimate goal in the whole, whole film set was Mount Sinai. Sinai was his... Uh, overall objective but he felt like it was really difficult to do that without having some backstory we have to prove that Israel lived in Goshen we have to prove that Moses existed before we can talk about Sinai and that's actually the plot line and uh, several years ago we had the pleasure and actually if you go online you'll see that interview with Jim and Penny Caldwell but we had the pleasure of having the Caldwells at our local church and I arranged that uh, I had stumbled across the Caldwells, um, I don't know, probably a year or two previous to that. Um, in my, basically, I was buying a bunch of DVDs and books and different things from just different amateur archaeologists and archaeologists and different people with different, uh, just ideas and trying to get feel, uh, how would you say it, trying to kind of wrap my finger uh, as much as I could around what I could discern as being true. Because I seen very quickly after my first trip to Israel, that there's tremendous amount of debate when it comes to biblical things. As you think something is established, guess again. There's always going to be people that are trying to detract for or against something. I mean, say, for instance, uh, the Temple Mount, you know, being the actual place of where the temple was or where exactly was the temple on Temple Mount. 
And you're going to find people that have different ideas. Some people say, well, it wasn't even on that. It was down the hill in, in the city of David. And you could just, you know, go in circles on all those things. But I find that it's often, all it does is really disillusion. And in a lot of cases, there's a lot of harm to people of faith that, that believe these things that, you know, they're looking for answers. And then you have some of these secular people who just literally are like, you know, stomping all over it. And they're not really being objective. It's not like they're right and the others are wrong. It's not like they're wrong and the others are right. There is obviously a lot of interpretation when it comes to biblical archaeology. Unless you find a stone in the ground that says, this is, let's say, for instance, Tel Bersheva, and it, this this is the house of Abraham, and at this well he made his covenant with Abimelech. Unless you find those things written in a stone in the ground, there's going to be interpretation in the archaeological community. Well, there's no difference with Mount Sinai. Sinai is a hugely debated topic. Most people say, well, it's impossible for people like Israel to have crossed the Red Sea um, so it, it would have had to have been more like a reed sea, you know, and there was probably a tectonic plate and an earthquake and there was a, the water of the Bitter Lakes receded and they went across because Yam Suf actually means reed sea, Yam being uh, sea and Suf being, you know, me meaning reeds or, or red. Well, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, God knows, history knows, and it's not an archaeologist that says... Well, this is the way it is. It's it's just not. Um, because I've, I've <laughs> found so many people. There's I actually found one interesting thing that Yam obviously means the sea, but Suf uh, being red um, or a reed. Well, there might be a plausible another plausible explanation that is the Gulf of Aqaba, but the northern part where the where there's some uh, where the right at the edge of the sea there's reeds now. I did see that whole coast. I didn't see exactly where the guy's talking about. But there's, I guess, some marshes right off the coast that there's reeds growing, which is very unusual because it's salt water. Could it be that they call it the reed sea because, well, it's a sea with reeds and it's unusual? Well, it might be. But why do I say all that? Well, these things tend to be extremely subjective. Everything that you'll find over there is subjective. If you go with somebody on a tour and your tour guide is along, you're going to probably hear 15 different versions of, well, this is where this happened, and that's where that happened. And a lot of it is just simply comes down to personal opinion. And I just call it out as what it is. In my travels over to Israel, that's what I've picked up on. It's a little bit like uh, we, we were in the restaurant industry. Uh, we, have, we were in other industries, but when we got into the restaurant industry, I noticed that just the fundamental difference in the way people acted. And it was kind of surprising to me because I uh, it was different. So in the restaurant industry, I mean, everybody wanted to take credit for everybody else's success. Oh, we were actually the ones that did this, and they actually got their ideas from us. And this, and it just, you know, I, I saw through that whole, you know, world. I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, who cares? Like, it doesn't really matter. Truth is truth. And either you did it or you didn't. Either this is the place or it isn't. And the same thing goes with archaeologists. Archaeologists have, you know, you, you don't become famous for not discovering something. And when, you know, one person wants to take credit, well, I discovered this. And, and if they didn't discover it and it didn't come through proper channels, well, there's no truth. And the evidence would not support such a conclusion. And a lot of it is simply bias. It's not unbiased. 
I'll give you an example. One of the one of the, the biggest ones that I um, kind of the things that I came across was in Megiddo. There's an individual named Professor Israel Finkelstein, and he's a uh, he's an archaeologist, but he's very much an agnostic. He's not a biblical. I mean, he's Jewish, but he's not. He's he's very secular. He doesn't really believe God. The God of the Bible exists in its state. He believes it's just another desert God. And yeah, sure, he loves the story of his people, but you know they were over-exaggerating everything, and there was only several thousand of them. There wasn't millions, and the Exodus didn't happen the way it is. Well, anyway, a lot of your, your naysayers use what Finkelstein says as, well, this is an educated man, and he, you know, this is what he says about it. Israel didn't exist, and blah, 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 blah. Well... He's got bias. I'm sorry to say he's got really bad bias. And one of the major sites that he dug was Megiddo. Megiddo was one of his works. And and he at the end of the excavation, he said, Well, we found no evidence to corroborate the biblical account that Solomon used this as a, uh, as a military base. There just really is no evidence to support that. And then I heard another archaeologist who was working in, in, uh, in Jerusalem make go on the record and make the statement that well the reason uh that Israel didn't find anything Israel Finkelstein didn't find anything is because he wasn't looking in the right layer he wasn't looking in the right strata if you walk in the entrance of the city you can see that the the, the excavated site is two layers above the layer of where Solomon's layer is and had he dug down he would have found what Solomon had put in there and it, th- that's just the type of stuff that you get into it's a very political arena and it's not always about just finding truth. And this is sold to the masses, and the masses just swallow it. They just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. There's many people who have taken Finkelstein's work and said, well, hey, here's a prominent scholar who says that Israel, you know, this was not the historical, you know, land of Israel and the Bible is an exaggeration, and they use that as a way of justifying whatever. That's just basically to paint the picture of the reality. Well, in that kind of environment, you can imagine that if something like Mount Sinai exists in its current state, if if a popular archaeologist doesn't find it or isn't know about it first, nobody's going to even look at it. And unfortunately, that's a little bit what's going on uh, in this whole spectrum. I would say majority of scholars would say that St. Catherine's down the Sinai Peninsula is probably not Sinai. There's some traditions, obviously, surrounding it. Helen, Helena, mother of Constantine, went down to the region, and the locals said, yeah, this is Sinai, and so she basically planted a flag and said, behold, Mount Sinai, and didn't really do much else, and that's it. She went on to the next site. She happened to do that all over Israel. She went into Jerusalem, and, well, where was Jesus crucified? And some people said, well, over there, and so she plants it and said, all right, let's build a church. This is where he was crucified. There, there wasn't any, it was all just whatever somebody said. And who knows, were that per- people right? Were they wrong? We actually don't know. And wish we wish there would have been some due diligence there in history to record some of these things. Um, but unfortunately, we don't know specifically exactly everything because we weren't there. Well, Sinai, coming full circle back, you know, Sinai is one of these places that kind of has remained... Ah, an illusion. Some people just, well, it's just not a big deal. It's what happened at it. It's just a chunk of rock. Well, I happen to think it is actually fairly important. So I spent a lot of time looking into just what, what are people saying? As a young kid, I was introduced to the work of Ron Wyatt. 
And Wyatt was one of those guys like I kind of admired. It was kind of like, you know, it's amazing that one person could find all this who's an amateur and blah, 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 blah. But then as I got older, I recognized that, well, Wyatt also had some shortcomings. I'm not really criticizing him. It's unfortunately, it's it's a the archaeological work and things like that. It's just kind of a difficult arena. It's just very difficult to kind of... Yeah, how would you say it? It's just difficult. It's just not as easy as it sounds. And so a lot of people were, you know, blaming him, accusing him, whatever. And I'm not I'm not saying my personal opinion is that he wasn't right on everything. Uh, but I think I think he's, you know, he, he, he had at least had something to show for that was tangible. And one of these places that he pointed out was Sinai in Arabia. And I have studied this subject for years. And I listened to different accounts, people that were there. Um, and, um, I've always, I've come to the conclusion, even traveling over to the Middle East, uh, almost half a dozen times now that I do think that it's Arabia. Paul was clear that for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. The indication is that he, that Moses fled to the land of Midian while he was in Midian, that he, uh, visited Sinai and Al-Bad, the traditional home of Jethro is Al-Bad in Saudi Arabia. And that's where Moses lived. Well, Sinai is the great, the biggest mountain in the region. So it would make sense that that, that is a, a mountain that they would have understood. Everything kind of comes together with that site, except for some, uh, how would you say it? It takes a miracle for it to be the site because there's big obstacles. There's the distance uh, that it takes for Israel to get across the Sinai Peninsula. Can they do it in the time that the Bible describes, three days? And then the Nueva, it's the crossing site. And, and I mean, can the waters actually be parted by God? This is a very deep part. Uh, it's 600 feet deep. The rest of it is actually 4,000 feet deep, but it weighs Nueva at 600 feet deep. Can God actually pull this off? And then if he does, and, they, and they're in Arabia, you know, how do we know which mountain exactly? And how can you ever tell? Well... You have to look again at the patterns of evidence. And this is exactly what Tim Mahoney's next film is going to be about, is the patterns of evidence for the mountain of God. He's been building up to this narrative. And he's going to present Sinai, as far as I understand, in his next film. So, And he might actually wait and do the crossing first and then Sinai. I'm not sure. I do know that he's. it depends how everything lays out and how successful his funding is. But you come to, you know, this thing. And if you look at it north north of there, um, you know, you're, you're about an hour and a half's drive south from Elat down to the region. Your you're walking distance, you're probably, I don't know, probably two days, three days walk from Sinai up to Elat. Um, from like Petra, Wadi Rum, those areas, you're, you're a couple days walk. You're not that far away, maybe a week at the most to get up to Wadi Rum on foot and um, Petra being the capital of Edom but it does indicate that they came up to a place called and this is where actually where they camped most of their time in the wilderness was it a place called Kadesh Barnea and there's different locations for that the the traditional site would have had Kadesh Barnea on the southern part of the, of the of Philistia down in the Negev but I think there's also another Bedouin um, Bedouin, how would you say it, tradition that it, it was actually over in Petra at the Wadi Musa, that at the southern end of Wadi Musa was the place of Kadesh Barnea. So 
I, I, you know, I don't know what to make of it, except that would make sense. Why would you call the, the wadi there in Petra Wadi Musa if Moses didn't have any connection to it? And there's also a spring there that Muslims, and this is Muslim traditions more than it is, you know, Christian or Jewish traditions, but the Muslims would hold that's where it happened, as well as uh, the spring of Moses, Meribah, which is the second place that the water flowed out of the rock. Now, people can say different things, but there's a tradition of a spring being there that this is Meribah. The other thing that's interesting that is in the Petra region, the southern part in the Petra Park, there's a mountain peak called Mount, uh, Mount Hor. It is where Muslims believe Aaron was buried. And it's the highest peak in Petra. Now, the Jewish people with holding to the Sinai Peninsula, Mount Sinai, and it was the Sinai Peninsula was named that because of the location of Sinai being named there. It, it wasn't originally called that, if I can say it that way. That's a, a recent naming. But they would hold that it's somewhere in south, southern Israel. But it's interesting that Muslims would acknowledge that 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 area was where actually was Kadesh Barnea. That's um, I mean, that history goes back many, 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 many years uh, to the time when obviously Jewish people were driven out after 70 A.D. for the most part, and a lot of those traditions were left. But uh, the the Arabs who lived in the region as well, descendants of of Ishmael. And especially there in Edom, descendants of of, of uh, Esau would have kept some of those traditions. And I think it's interesting to note that that is the local tradition. The other thing is that in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, most people who would understand the subject would would have the understanding that Jebel Allah's is Mount Sinai, according to their traditions. And I think that's interesting. I, I will defer to people like Joel Richardson, some of those who have done a lot more work in that department. I don't have a lot of interactions with those, uh, with more the Muslim side of it. I just, I have heard as well, um, that is part of the draw the Iranians have to, to take over Saudi Arabia is they also want to preserve that site because they feel that's Sinai, that's where Moses was. And they venerate him as well. I, that's hearsay again, second second hand account. I didn't hear that from anybody in particular, but that is the idea, and it does make sense because from there Israel went up to Heshbon, and we know they came in that way, but they went up to Heshbon, which is right there, and then they went to Nebo. That's all over there, so everything's right in line. If Kadesh Barnea is over in southern Israel, they would have had to come across uh, the southern end of the Dead Sea, loop across, come up you know, through Edom and then to Heshbon, etc. It makes way more sense that they came straight north from Sinai, stopped at Kadesh Barnea, and then went out to, went up to, if I can say Petra, to Edom, asked Esau if they can, or Esau's descendants, if they can pass through there. They said absolutely not. So they go all the way out around to the right. So basically up to the borders of Edom and then, you know, go out around through the desert into the plains of Moab. And it, it makes perfect geographical sense from that standpoint. It makes way better sense in the storyline and the history than if you look at the Sinai location as being, or the Sinai Peninsula as being the location. Now, I had found out about uh, Jim and Penny Caldwell in looking at material. I had come across their names because Bob Cornuk is somebody who was there. I don't know that all of what he has found. I don't know Bob that well. I just know with, I actually had an Egyptian guide here a month and a half ago who's direct, or six months ago now, sorry, who's directed Bob Cornuke's uh, trips over to Egypt as well. 
And he just said, you know, Cornute kind of does what he wants to, and he's not always the most factual and truthful in everything he says. That was just him. And he just said he's not a bad guy. He just he wondered himself a little bit about what Bob was saying because Bob was kind of he had made up some, I don't know. It just, there's just some mystery surrounding him. I'm not, I, be the judge for yourself. To me, it's I'm not here to put other people down. All I can say is from what I found with people that have been around him, peers, if I can say it that way, there's some question marks. Um, be that as it may, I don't know Bob. I, I think Bob probably is doing the best he can trying to, you know, find truth just like I am. Uh, but, and Bob has been a great source of information for me. I, I like to investigate the things that Bob says. Um, that's actually how I found out about the Temple Zero and Ellie Shukran. And I was there as well six months ago. And Ellie's best friend, unfortunately, unfortunately Ellie was out of the country. Hopefully this fall we can hook up with Ellie and he can take us through. But um, Ellie's best friend took us through the site and they're in the city of David. And Ellie is the guy who found Temple Zero. Very interesting just connection, but I found that out through Bob as well. So, I, I mean, I do my due, due diligence. I'm not trying to paint somebody negatively. Please understand that. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't know that everything that he has uh, stated, especially to do with Sinai, was completely actually the way it was. It, it, anyway, but it was in that video that he had said that he had met the Caldwells and he had got videos from them, etc., well, then I reached out because there was a reference to that website, their website. I reached out to the Caldwells and started emailing back and forth and then went on to invite them to come up and give a presentation in our church of what they had discovered. Of course, I had gotten all I had gotten their book, I'd gotten all their DVDs, and I watched the presentations they had. And I was just, it was by far the best conclusive case of evidence that I've seen for any mountain. It was better than what Ron Wyatt put together. It was better than what Bob Corner put together. It was better then from an evidence standpoint, it was better than anybody else had. And I had uh, found out then, of course, later that they had lived there for 14 years. They'd been to the mountain um, over 20 times and spent a lot of time, considerable amount of time in the region. And they discovered quite a bit of things, even though they were always doing it in secrecy, trying to avoid, you know, and they, yes, they got stopped and they got uh, detained and different things at different moments, even though they were never long-term in prison. Uh, that you know they were harassed, and uh, but after them leaving Arabia, other people were getting in as well. Other people were documenting. There was a lady that worked in Tabuk, uh, that that had been out many times. It was also getting information out. I forget what her name is, but um, she was there for quite a while, and uh, the other person that was there. Uh, in well, the other person that was there was Kim and Jenny. It's interesting that Jim and Penny and Kim and Jenny, uh, and it also happens that 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 Kim and Jim's birthday is the same day. It's just kind of crazy coincidence how God would have linked that up. But Kim was a was a physician to a high ranking Saudi uh, prince, and he had royal plates, so he could literally get in unimpeded, never got you know stopped and all that. Kim uh, Kim spent a tremendous amount of time researching the evidence for the sites as well. Uh, but he lives in South Korea. But anyway, so Jim and, you know, they kind of overlapped in their seeking the mountain. Jim, uh, I, I befriended them after that. And I basically, I had made them an animation of the split rock, which was kind of the cornerstone of what they, f that they found. Because they felt that was really the representation. It says that 
God was stood before them at the rock and that it was split open, the water came out. It's a representation of Jesus, but it was just a stunning piece of evidence for the site being Sinai. And uh, people that have been there since then, some prominent names, Joel Richardson, Andrew Jones, um, uh, Ryan Mauro, there's kind of a second wave of people that have now figured out good ways to get into Arabia and get some stuff documented have all been taken back by it, like it's really an astounding piece. Uh, Ryan Mauro is a, he was a Fox contributor. He's, he is a um, very interesting character. Um, same with Joel Richardson, of course, a New York Times bestseller. He was able to get in to sign, I believe he's planning on going back. And he wrote a book on the subject as well as put a DVD series out and he presents it from an eschatological view. I had emailed him and he he basically responded as, yeah, it took him by surprise. It, it, you know, he didn't really expect to, it to change him a whole, whole lot when the opportunity popped up, but it has dramatically changed his view of some things being at that mountain and he's become an advocate for the site. The other person is Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones is a very much of a, uh, uh, Ron Wyatt follower type of person. I think he is a super nice guy. He owns a software company in California and uh, he is um, uh, he is a Seventh Day Adventist, which Ron was as well. I but be, that aside, on that in the end of the day, that just creates interest. If I can say it this way, I've I've found that Seventh Day Adventists have a lot of interest, obviously, in the commandments because their doctrine is there's their central to their doctrine is the Ten Commandments. So Sinai, of course, is an extremely important subject for them. Uh, but which is okay, you know, because you need guys like that to have the tenacity to go and to seek these things out. And Andrew has done that. Andrew, over the last two years, he he basically found a good way to get in. And he has been over there literally, I think, 12 times in the last two years and has taken unbelievable footage, uh, 4K footage with drones and uh, nice cameras and has gotten amazing footage of the sites and is doing an, a great job documented it. Ryan Morrow as well got in and took good footage and stuff, but he was only on two trips, so his, his footage is more limited. But Andrew Jones is, is working actively. He's actually, his plans are, and he's probably over there by now, but his plans are to, to go over to the region for six months and just really, I mean, he's already traveled over 15,000 miles in the region uh, exploring it, and he's planning to just even take it up a notch. So very impressive from that standpoint. How they all connect and how I all know about this is because I've become friends with the Caldwells, like I've said. J- Jim and Penny are the are tremendous couples, and they have unfortunately have been so misused by so-called Christians. It really is just, it is such a shame to, 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 to see that the so-called Christianity can treat people so poorly, you know, because they're not academics, because they're not... Um, archaeologists they're just average people who supernaturally were led to a mountain and i'm not going to get into the story there's a lot to it that i'm not going to say but all i can say is these people were the most unlikely people to have been led to this but they were supernaturally and i will say that with confidence by god to discover and rediscover these things it's a little bit like jesus said he said you know he thanked the father that this wasn't revealed to the wise and prudent and this was speaking about the the kingdom, but he said, you know, that he doesn't reveal it to the wise and prudent, but unto the to the children, these 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 simple people, you know. And it's often how God does things; He reveals His deepest truths to people that really are not qualified, 
And that's exactly the case with Jim and Penny. Now, they didn't discover it. Um, There's a tradition of people knowing that Sinai was in Arabia for generations before. And in fact, in Paul's day, they knew it was over there as well. So the strong traditions have, people have known this for thousands of years. It's not like Ron Wyatt discovered it. It's not like Jim and Penny discovered But it's more like they rediscovered it. They rediscovered the evidence and the proofs, and it's, it's sitting there in stunning detail. And uh, there was an announcement made last year by Prince Sultan, which is the prince of, crown prince of, or Suleiman, sorry, not Sultan. Um, this is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and he is he's converting the whole region. And the middle of this whole region is Sinai, but the whole region is going to be converted into an area known as Neom. And he's committed half a trillion dollars to development of Neom. And Neom is to be a basically a geopolitical city. It's kind of like the Dubai that Saudi Arabia wants to have. And this is the this will be right on the outskirts of Saudi, of, of Sinai. And so there's a, there's an active push by a lot of different people, including Ryan Mauro, Joel Richardson, the Caldwells, uh, many different people to to somehow raise awareness to the Saudi government to preserve these sites and to also make it accessible for people to come and visit. And I do know that that is definitely um, being pursued as far as trying to raise awareness. Exactly, you know, the details I'm not at liberty to discuss at this moment, but uh, because I'm a graphic artist and stuff, I have done some work for the Caldwells, and they've been gracious enough to to keep me informed in, in, in what they're working on and things like that. And so there are things that... You know, it's not, at this point, obviously, it, it all comes down to what Saudi Arabia wants to do. If they want to open it up for tourists, great. If they don't, great. You know, that's, it is what it is. The hope and prayer is that they preserve the sites and the, preserve the things that are there for a generation to see. But because Neom is opening up, the plan is to have it opened up by 2030. We're, we're, we're very sure uh, that in the next couple of years, there's going to be opportunities to get in legally without without worry of harassment etc to at least go in and freely see uh these sites and, and you know for me i'm looking forward to be able to do that to decide for myself what what i think i mean i certainly think based on the evidence i've seen that it is the real mount sinai i haven't seen any evidence for any other mountain that comes even close to compare with what this mountain has to offer i mean there was a Another archaeologist, uh, he had that had a series on, on uh, oh, some years ago called The Naked Archaeologist, and I can't think of his name, but he's from Canada, and he's an archaeologist, and he had an alternative mountain uh, in southern Israel that he was like, this is the Sinai, and they found a little spring of water, and they found some piles of rocks, and, and they thought, this is it, this, is, this makes perfect sense, and, you know, everything lines up with the amount of time, and blah, 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 but it's extremely underwhelming. Uh, and when I say that, there's just really not a whole lot of evidence. When you look at everything that Jebel Laws has going for it, from an actual just evidence and traditions of the region, etc., it is really without question. There's no other mountain that everything lines up in this way. The only challenge is to accept that Jebel Laws is the real Mount Sinai, is to accept that supernatural happenings took place in the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, that there was supernatural intervention, because it is not physically possible uh, to explain every last detail of that deliverance, from the crossing of the sea, 
to the speed at which they got there. We do know the Bible records that he healed every last person. It says that there was not a crippled person or a sickly person among them when they left Egypt. And you, you have, you're talking a slave population who has been under hard slavery. And there, are, there is nobody feeble, nobody sickly. That's a miracle that God strengthened them. And not only did he strengthen them, he led them in the in the cloud. And that is really Jesus, okay? The angel of the Lord that led them, the way I understand it, is Jesus. Yeshua leading his people out of Egypt and then dividing the sea and protecting them and showing his great power. Everything comes together in this mountain in a way that it doesn't in others. And I really think it is the place... Um, we will know once Jesus comes back. There's no question we will know. Uh, but there is links to the site. One of the, one of the most interesting things I've seen is up on the mountain, uh, not far away, there's a carving of menorah. And it's a carving with other Hebraic petroglyphs. So it's, it's something that, you know, we, we know that there was, there's a connection. That's all I can say. There's a connection. So I hope this has been interesting to you. This is a subject I've been very familiar with. I'm hesitant to say too much. Uh, I do know more details, but I, I just want to whet your appetite. Look, like I've said before, I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not an academic. I'm not a scholar in the traditional sense. I'm not an institutional person where I've been through schools, have learned all sorts of systematic thoughts and ways of doing things, you know, and dividing doctrines and things like that. I'm not that, but what I am is a person who's willing to go to the land to talk to people to talk to people who know things and I'm just telling you there is opinions as wide as <laughs> as wide as the earth there's opinions on these biblical subjects and I trust the Lord to lead me to truth wherever it leads me I'm willing to go there to find truth because I believe that that's life I really believe that the only reason I have a pursuit of truth in my heart is because I seek the, tr the truth giver I seek the one who gives life. I seek the one who is life because I believe that is the answer to the world uh, and our problems that we have today. I don't believe education will solve our problems. I, interestingly enough, I just heard a quote recently uh, by uh, <clears throat> somebody who was sharing at our local church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he just said that education, the modern educational system, was instituted. Uh, because they felt that the problem with humanity is is that we we just simply don't have enough education. If we give people enough education, that it will it will cause people to wisen up and they will stop fighting each other. And in fact, the opposite has been true. There's been more fighting because there's more opinions. There's far less faith, and there's far more opinions. And that's exactly the state of the world we're in today. Education is has its benefits, but it also has its downfalls. Even for me, my pursuit of truth wanting to understand the deep things of God, I also recognize it has its shortcomings because I need faith. You know, Moses, like it or not, was not a brilliant, I mean, how would you say it? He was not a brilliant academic who spent his all his life in the halls of Harvard. No, he, he learned, he got his education on the backside of a wilderness, in the backside of a desert, th thinking he has blown uh, his life and that he really is just a running, a, a person running from failure. And that is where God met him. And he turned him into one of the greatest deliverers humankind has ever known. And it's people like that, people like David, who learned his who learned his skills out on the hillsides of Bethlehem tending sheep on how to deal with shepherding people. 
It's it's Jesus, Yeshua, who learned obedience through the things he suffered. He didn't learn in, in yeshivas. He didn't learn in, in the rabbinic schools. He learned from his father through things that he went through, things he suffered as well, just as we do. And being a disciple is just that. Being a disciple is being willing to go through things, to learn lessons the hard way. And sure, we can learn things in academics, absolutely. And I'm not against academics. I've learned a tremendous amount from from academics. I've learned reason, logic. I've learned, uh, uh, you know, thought, hermeneutics, things like that. I've learned, I've, I've, you know, systematic thought, things, things of that nature. But I can never get away from the fact that God, who is in secret, um, makes his makes his mysteries known to us in the same way. It's not something that is clear for everyone to see. It's only people who are willing to dig into it that God really reveals himself. So you can have a perfect hermeneutic. You can have a perfect explanation for every little thing. But the power of God comes through faith. And that is exactly my conclusion. Even with everything that I've found in Israel, I've been there many times. I've driven... Not all the roads, but pretty close. I've driven a lot of roads all over the creation and talked to a lot of locals. I've talked to educated people. I've talked to archaeologists. I've talked to tour leaders. I've talked to uh, guides. I've talked to, you know, you name it, a lot of different people. And I'm telling you, opinions are everywhere. Um, but you have to trust the Lord for truth. So with that, I will leave you. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope to update and I say this every time, hope to update more often, more frequently. Um, I did have a little bit of a uh, limitation in my new office that I set up. I actually didn't have a computer, so I was using the laptop. And some of the other podcasts, I had an off-site office, which I worked, but I, there was no people around. And I uh, switched roles within our company and uh, was brought into an office with a bunch of people. So I couldn't do podcasts at my normal office. And at home, I wasn't set up to do it as well. And I am set up to do it now, so uh, if if I find the time to do it, I will definitely make an attempt to uh, to do more recordings. But I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate, um, I have not told a lot of people about this podcast uh, purposely. There's a lot of people, especially even in our home church, that have no idea. In fact, the other day, somebody, and he's probably going to listen to this episode and laugh, but I had to laugh pretty good because... We were talking about some. This is somebody I'm, I'm a good friend with, and uh, he just suggested, you know what, you really you need a podcast. And I just had to laugh because I was like, well, I've actually done it for four years, <laughs> not quite, almost four years uh, that I've been doing episodes and podcasts. And I just had to laugh and I'm like, actually, I have one. And so he finally he figured it out because I wouldn't do it to tell him what it was called. And then he's, <laughs> it was just funny because I'm not the I, I just this side of me is something a lot of people who know me don't have any idea that I do it. And and the reason for it is because it, there's a little bit of a, how would you say it? I'm not a person who likes to just self-promote. The reason that these podcasts is it's good for me. It's good for me to put the trains of thought, the journey that I have am on to discover truth. It's great to be able to record that. Uh, obviously for my children and the grandchildren, et cetera, to, to go back and to listen to what my thoughts were on some of this stuff. And, and I know there's people out there like me who, who seek truth, who are not educated, you know, in traditional senses and, uh, who are willing to do whatever. I mean, I know in this area, there's people like that and I love meeting with them and talking and interacting. And, and these are people with means who are able to go to Israel quite frequently. And, and, you know, we, we have a great time discussing what, what, what we find and what we learn on these trips. 
Um, so my heart is still very involved in, in this whole scheme. So with that, I'll leave you. Uh, I wish you a blessed Passover season. We're in the Passover season here. And uh, as we remember what Yeshua did, Jesus, when he died and became the Passover lamb that took away the sin of the world once and for all with his precious blood. God bless you and be blessed.